Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. Along with my brother, Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, there's a lot happening. There certainly is a lot taking place in the world right now, Jimmy, and thankfully, we've got our broadcast partners with us to help us look at these important events. Yes. Let's get started. Ken Timmerman is with us. He's our regular guest. He's our expert on geopolitical affairs, and there's so many things taking place in the world today, and so we're glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining us today, Ken. Uh, Thanks for having me, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, Ken, we know what's been dominating all the headlines for it seems like uh, you know weeks now, many weeks, is what's taking place in Ukraine. So I guess the first thing we need to do is to get an update on the situation there in Ukraine. Well, uh, look, on, on Thursday, there was a, an attack on a, a kindergarten in um, a Ukrainian-controlled area. They claimed it was carried out by anti-government separatists uh, backed by Russia. Russia said it wasn't. What we're seeing, Rick, is the fog of war. And I think as uh, operations like this intensify, that fog is going to turn into a blizzard. We are not going to see clearly what is actually happening on the ground because both sides, the Ukrainian government and the Russian government, are going to be blaming each other. Uh, Information is going to be spotty and contradictory, and there will not be independent journalists on the ground in those conflict areas where the actual fighting is taking place to give us an independent view of what's going on. Uh, We will have satellite photographs released by the United States government. And at this point, uh, I would like to say I could have full faith and confidence in what the U.S. government uh, tells the American public, but I don't. And uh, I just point you, uh, for example, to that absolutely extraordinary uh, State Department uh, press conference a week ago when an AP reporter questioned the State Department spokesman about their new intelligence that Russia was just was about to evade. And he said, well, what new intelligence? He said, well, I've just given it to you. He said, no, what you did was make a statement. <laughs> and he said, no, no, I just gave you our, our declassified information. This is a game that the Biden administration is playing with the American public, with the Russians as well, pretending that we have up-to-date, highly classified intelligence that is being released by the administration to deter Putin. I've got to say, I am very skeptical about this, and I am very skeptical as we hear reports on the ground of what's happening in Ukraine. It could take months to figure out what actually is happening today. Well, I guess your fog of war statement, and that completely makes sense because I know earlier this week, the headlines were they are moving away, that Russia is moving their forces away. And then that seems to have gone by the wayside. So I guess you know, you have to look at the broader picture. Is that is that correct? Uh, well, that's right. And as I say, we are not going to know the truth for weeks and perhaps months. What we will see are these so-called battlefield reports where the Russians say, yes, we're pulling troops out of Crimea. They show video footage of tanks being loaded on trains, and they are indeed moving away from Crimea. And then the Americans say, no, 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 they're now uh, moving 7,000 troops in another area onto the Ukraine border. So they're pulling out from Crimea and moving troops to another area. We're not going to know the truth of this for several months. And in the meantime, you could have a very bloody war in eastern Ukraine. My guess is Russia is not going to move into Kiev. I can't see their interest in doing that. 
I can always be wrong, obviously, but moving into Kiev is going to start an insurgency. It's going to be very costly for Putin. And I don't see what he actually gains. And Putin is a former KGB officer thinks in a, you know, he does not think necessarily like a military strategist of how do you gain ground? Could the Russians take Kiev? Of course they could militarily. Could they hold Kiev? Well, that's another story. Putin looks at the intelligence aspects. How do I create a provocation? How do I confuse the enemy? How do I make it look like the enemy is at fault and not me? That's what an intelligence operative and a disinformation artist, which Putin is, that's how they act. So I think you're going to see a lot in terms of fog of war. I think you're going to see more of these cyber attacks, uh, which occurred earlier this week uh, against Ukraine, clearly by Russian government-sponsored actors, if not the Russian state itself. Uh, They're going to try to confuse the Ukrainians, disable uh, Ukraine's defense network, their uh, air defense network, perhaps. But again, I just don't see Putin's interest in a full-scale invasion of all of Ukraine. His interest to me seems to be in eastern Ukraine, in the Donbass, and those areas that are dominated by either Russian citizens or pro-Russian separatists. So as we try to sort out this confusion, there's one thing that I remember you told me or told us and our listeners a few weeks back is to follow the money, always follow the money. And there are some reports coming out of Ukraine that uh, their prime minister is talking about the Nord Stream 2, the gas pipeline heading from Russia to Western Europe, and it's saying that is that pipeline is a threat to the European content. What can you tell us about that situation, and how is it having an effect on this whole crisis in general? Well, it's absolutely true that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which President Trump put sanctions on, prevented from being completed and put into operation while he was still president. President Biden, the day he took office, he released those sanctions. And he said, oh, Russia, go ahead. Go ahead and build that pipeline. It's supposed to bring something like 10 billion cubic meters of gas into Europe and make the current uh, operations, uh, pipeline operations through Ukraine uh, redundant. So they don't need to send gas to Europe through Ukraine. Ukraine was getting $3 billion a year in transit fees from those earlier arrangements. Now with Nord Stream 2, Ukraine would get bupkis and the Russians would be able to ship three times as much uh, natural gas into primarily Germany. So you see the Germans are lobbying very heavily for Nord Stream 2. Oh, did I forget to mention that a former German socialist chancellor, Gerhard Schroeder, is the CEO of the hmm. Nord Stream 2 pipeline consortium? Hmm. <laughs> Well, definitely a situation, something that could be a game changer, something to keep an eye on. Well, my final question that I have for you before you have to go, uh, I'd like to talk as we end up the Olympic Games that we are not watching, as we've already established in previous weeks, but as we end up these Olympic Games, it seems that President Xi could be in trouble. There's many economic challenges that he's facing, a COVID, you know, the worldwide economy, They have debt issues in their area. So Xi could be in trouble. And I think the big worry, and I was hoping you could tell me a little bit more about this, but uh, the big worry is that his problems become our problems. What would he do to try to solidify his power or maybe even distract people? 
that that is a great question, Rick. But first, let's get to the the factual buildup to that because you're absolutely right. Uh, China's debt—they're facing a mountain of new debt, just as we are in this country. Apparently, in January of this year, they issued one trillion dollars worth of new debt in one month alone. Uh, some people are call, calling this a shadow stimulus in China. The economy in China is increasingly facing real headwinds, uh, not just from COVID, but from overreach, uh, uh, where they have they have really uh, uh, you know pumped it up with with debt, and companies are going bankrupt. Private and government companies uh, are going bankrupt. They're going under. And if the Chinese Communist Party cannot maintain its deal with the Chinese people. They're finished. And the deal goes something like this. We will give you economic prosperity in exchange for a modest relinquishment uh, of your individual freedoms. And the Chinese people have shown themselves to be quite uh, uh, amenable to that deal as long as it works. But if the economy starts to falter in communist China under Xi's reign, he is in big trouble. Uh, just this past couple of weeks, and we've learned about it this past week, but a couple of weeks ago, uh, apparently a very high-level Communist Party official who has gone underground, is not using his real name, wrote a 42,000-character essay, so about a 6,000-word, 7,000-word essay called An Objective Evaluation of Xi Jinping. And it was pretty harsh against him, uh, uh, talking about economic mismanagement and uh, creating a, a, a people's war on America that China did not need. Uh, this individual used a code name, a, a pseudonym called Fang Zhu, which means arc. And so some people have wondered whether he is really the head of a secret underground faction against Xi within the Communist Party that is seeking to get rid of him. They're talking about his end of days. That's the term used in this essay by the Ark, as he's called. Uh, so this is, this is serious. And Xi Jinping takes this kind of thing seriously. Again, it's an intelligence operation. These are things going on in the shadows. We only catch glimpses of this through, for example, this essay, which has made its way out here to the West. But Fang, or the Ark, writes at the end of this uh, uh, long, long column, he says, she will be the architect of his own defeat. And this is in a section called end of days. So she is facing opposition inside the communist, uh, the Chinese Communist Party. We don't know how serious it is, but it's based on a factual interpretation of the coming collapse of the Chinese economy and Regardless of whether you believe there's a whole cadre of dissidents behind this particular essay by the ARC, the collapse of the Chinese communist economy is a very, very serious thing, and it worries Chinese leaders, and who knows what type of aggressive moves they might take, such as invading Taiwan, to distract the Chinese population and the world from the collapse of their economy. There's a lot of things taking place in the world right now, Ken, and I, I'm telling you, you do such a great job fitting this whole thing into a global geopolitical narrative and how this is all working together. So thank you for doing that. Um, we appreciate your insight and your opinion, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. 
Thanks so much, Rick. It's always a pleasure to be with you. God bless. Well, we got to take a break. And when we come back, Middle East News Update with David Dolan, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Winter packs a punch in Lebanon. Nuna from Triumphant Mercy Lebanon says back-to-back winter storms are wreaking havoc on Lebanon's most vulnerable populations. Roughly 1.5 million refugees live in Lebanon, and over 75% of the total population has fallen into poverty. But a gift to Triumphant Mercy Lebanon provides emergency aid, and most importantly, it introduces people to El Roy, the God who sees. Meanwhile, you're never too old to learn a new skill. Maha, a 63-year-old woman in India, never learned to read or write, and she suffered from physical pain. One day, her friend suggested she attend Mission India's adult literacy class. And Eric with Mission India says in the class, Maha learned reading, writing, and math. The teacher also offered to pray for her pain, and within hours, she was miraculously healed. Today, Maha has a new relationship with Jesus. Forty Bucks sponsors one adult in Mission India's program. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today Radio, and we're here for our regularly scheduled segment with Dave Dolan, the Middle East journalist, been a longtime friend, longtime journalist in Israel, and knows what's going on not only in Israel, but also in the Middle East. So, Dave, thank you for, again, joining us today. Always happy to do it, Rick. You know that. Well, the first thing we'd like to talk about this week, we discussed Ukraine with Ken Timmerman, and I know that that is still influential in the Middle Eastern region, but I'd like to focus on the Middle East and more specifically Israel this week and on our update. I'd like to know what's going on. We've had reports of drones attacking Israel, coming from Syria, coming from Iraq. Can you update us on that situation and what's taking place in Israel right now? Well, Rick, yes, there were three uh, drone attacks by Friday morning uh, into Israeli airspace. Uh, Two of them came from Lebanon, and one came from the Gaza Strip, and they followed the shooting down of two Iranian drones over Iraqi airspace early in the week that uh, the Israelis believed were actually heading towards Israel carrying bombs. And they think that these three sort of revenge attacks against Israel were ordered by Iran, most likely, and that they may have all contained bombs. Uh, The third one, Friday morning, was the most serious in that uh, the Iron Dome was actually deployed to shoot it out of the sky over Israeli airspace in the north of the country. And um, the Iron Dome missed it, apparently, but did explode, and that woke people up uh, all over the area. 
and also the uh, red sirens, uh, they call them, that are warning of incoming rockets or missiles or projectiles or, you know, aircraft, whatever. Those were activated for the first time in the Jordan Valley for the first time since 2006 because of this drone heading in that direction. But it was able to escape Israeli airspace after they fired the Iron Dome. It went back into Lebanon and they didn't destroy it, but just heightened tension. And this came as uh, the Russians are holding uh, war games off the coast of Syria and this week, and they've sent MiG-31 jets uh, to that. Those can fire these hypersonic missiles that Putin has been showing off. They have a range of 1,200 miles, actually, so way beyond Israel. They've also been sending down long-range Tupolev strategic bombers to these uh, naval exercises going on off the coast of Syria, and those jets are based at their Syrian air base uh, right on the Mediterranean coast. So just upping the game in the region, upping tensions, and uh, people are a little bit on edge. And on top of that, there was an earth- uh, two earthquakes this week in the north of Israel. Uh, one that was felt the most was just south of the Sea of Galilee in Jordanian uh, territory, but people in the area in northern Israel said it felt a lot stronger than it was, which was 3.6, but it really was near the surface apparently and rattled people, so uh, nerves are a little bit frayed in the north of Israel at present. Well, a lot to talk about there uh, in that report you just gave us. A couple of questions I have. Are those drones, would it be fair to characterize them as coming from Iranian proxies? Oh, definitely. Definitely. There's no question that uh, this is the the most uh, drone attacks we've had as a package, as it were, in, in several years. And they're certain that they weren't just happenstance, that they were ordered by Iran. And they can carry bombs and they can do a lot of damage if they get through. So uh, there's no question that Iran is is involved. And, uh, you know, the one is Hamas that they support and Islamic Jihad in Gaza and the other Hezbollah that's basically their uh, Iran's puppet force. So uh, all very serious developments. And this may be a loaded question, David, but if you could just give our listeners a brief education Russia's role, especially in Syria, what are they trying to accomplish? Well, they were invited in by the Assad regime in 2015 to basically help uh, him win the, quote, civil war that was going on in the country. Of course, that same year, Iranian forces were also invited in. Who knows what Putin's thinking, but certainly they're carrying out exercises this week around the world. They just announced they're moving up their uh, scheduled for this fall uh, major nuclear uh, warhead uh, test. They've moved that up to Saturday to today. So that's taking place. And uh, of course, the situation in Ukraine, extremely tense and uh, really fighting's been going on at a pretty fairly good level since uh, Thursday. So uh, it's all very serious. And uh, what the ultimate goals are, we don't know, but we do know, you and I know, and our listeners do, I'm sure, that ultimately Russia will lead an invasion into Israel, a coalition of countries including Iran, including Ethiopia, um, uh, Turkey, etc. So I don't think that's imminent. I don't think they're ready for that. But all of these are steps in the direction of seeing Russia's power and influence in the Middle East reestablished as, of course, the U.S. is pulling its forces out 
And some are saying it's no coincidence that Putin issued his demands on NATO just uh, two and a half weeks after our withdrawal from Afghanistan was completed in a disastrous manner. So the U.S. is going down in influence. The Russians are going up. Israel is going to need, with all these threats facing them, Israel is going to need as many friends as they can get in the region. And they typically haven't had many, but since the Abraham Accords, they do have some kind of burgeoning uh, relationships with some of the nations in there. And I'd like your comment. I know the foreign minister from Bahrain said that uh, cooperation between Israel and Bahrain is needed to tackle the Iranian threat. How is that being received there, and, and why is that important? Well, and he made that comment right after meeting with Prime Minister Naftali Bennett, who was down in Bahrain on Tuesday on an official state visit. The foreign minister said that the crown prince of Bahrain, who really rules the country, his father is quite elderly, the same situation as in Saudi Arabia, where the actual ruler is very elderly and the crown prince's son is is handling things, but he said the foreign minister said he'd been invited to Jerusalem by uh, Bennett and that they had accepted that invitation. So that will be a major development, uh, Rick. We haven't, uh, to my knowledge, had a senior Arab leader from a country that had formerly been at war with Israel come to Jerusalem in quite some time. Of course, the most famous was Anwar Sadat's visit after the Camp David peace treaty between Egypt and Israel in 1979. But uh, this would be historic and uh, just another sign that they are cementing their relations. There was another delegation of businessmen in Bahrain. There was a delegation from the UAE up in Israel. They actually visited the Knesset this week. So ties are fairly strong. And of course, they do share that uh, same enemy, Iran. Again, the the Gulf state Arabs have nothing against Iran, but Iran is declared war basically against them. And it's supporting the Houthis in, in the Southern Arabian Peninsula and all of that. So, um, and again, that alliance between Iran and Russia is something we have to keep in mind very much as well. And it's another reason that the feeling is we could have conflict here fairly soon. Well, continuing along the thread of that Abraham Accords, one of the Gulf states, and probably the most powerful Gulf state, uh, I would assume would be Saudi Arabia, and they have not signed a peace agreement, but many people, based on the model of the Abraham Accords with Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, feel like uh, the Israeli-Saudi peace could be a bridge to the entire Muslim world. Your thoughts on that? Well, yes, that was uh, in an interview given this week by a professor from Saudi Arabia. She's now working in Dubai, Professor Al Said. She was visiting the Knesset and there for some meetings. And she was talking about that, that if her country, her original country, Saudi Arabia, did make peace with Israel, it would be revolutionary. And of course, that's because, as she pointed out, the two holiest sites in Islam, Mecca and Medina, where Muhammad's buried, are in Saudi Arabia. That's, of course, where the Hajj takes place. It is definitely the center of the Islamic world, even though you'd think Jerusalem was by some of the things they say occasionally, the Palestinians in particular. But in reality, it's not its holiest place. It's in Arabia. So if they were to make a formal peace, it would definitely influence many other Muslim countries, uh, Malaysia, uh, Indonesia, 
so in Asia and in Africa and throughout the Middle East to uh, go in that direction as well. And the Israelis have been working behind the scenes to have this happen. But of course, being the guardians, as she pointed out, of Islam's holiest site, there's a huge amount of resistance to them having any relations formally with Israel, especially, of course, from Iran, Syria, and the more radical forces in the Gaza Strip, etc. So we'll see what happens. But certainly on the ground, there's actual cooperation. And we mentioned that Bennett flew over Saudi airspace on his last visit to UAE a couple weeks ago, and the defense minister did the same. So things are definitely going somewhat in that direction. But for them to make a formal peace is a huge step for them. And I wouldn't expect it in the current climate where everything is so (laughs) going crazy, let's put it that way. Well, David, as always, you're a valuable asset in helping us to determine what's taking place in the world, especially the Middle East. It's a blessing to do it, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now on Prophecy Today, but when we return, we're going to have a discussion with Winky Madad. Stay tuned right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Coming up in this half hour, we have a new broadcast partner, Pete Garcia. Uh, has a website entitled Rev310.net. But before Pete, we have Winky Madad coming up on the program with us to talk to us about what's taking place in Israel. Winky Madad is on the line with me. He is our regular broadcast partner. He is the former mayor of Shiloh and also the former director of educational programming and information resources at the Menachem Begin Heritage Center in Jerusalem. So a man with a wide background in Israeli politics and Israeli culture. Winky, as always, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me on, and I love your introductions. (laughs) Great. Well, we have several stories, and and some of them are quite serious, so I'm really interested to get your take on these stories that are coming uh, out of Israel right now. And I guess we'll start with this first one, Yad Vashem, the Holocaust Memorial Museum in Jerusalem, has taken away pictures of the former Mufti of Jerusalem. And for our listeners that don't know, maybe you can explain the Mufti of Jerusalem's role in World War II. But they have taken his picture out of the museum and in what is a seemingly political move. Can you talk about that story a little bit? All right. Very briefly, the Mufti 
uh, which is a religious head. He was actually the head of Supreme Muslim Council. He was elected in 1921, if I recall properly. And basically until he was declared a terrorist and persona non grata, and uh, the British attempted to arrest him for leading terror in Palestine, uh, the mandate at the time, in 1937, he was here in, is in Israel. Then he fled to Lebanon. From Lebanon, he went to Iraq. Iraq, he started the anti-Jewish pogrom that's called the Farhud in June of 1941, where over 100 or close to 200 Jews were killed. And then fled from there to Berlin, where for the next three years, he was the chief Arabic broadcaster over Radio Berlin, urging the Arabs of the Middle East to rise up against Britain and serve the Nazi masters. This man was wanted as a war criminal after World War II, but France sort of let him slip away and he went back to the Middle East again and eventually ended up in Egypt. So that's the short version of his biography. The reason why this is so problematic from the standpoint of Yad Vashem is A, they did have a very large picture of the Mufti sitting with Hitler. The very famous, if you Google Mufti Hitler, uh, you'll find the picture and other pictures. And over the years, more pictures have come out of him walking through either concentration camps, or I, sh I wouldn't say concentration camps per se, but the offices of concentration camps, and other documents signed by Goering and, and other high Himmler, other high Nazis. In other words, he was, he was one of the gang, right? He was the drinking buddy if, if, he had, if he wasn't a Muslim and not being able to drink. And he actually, it's on record, intervened with Hitler to stop transports of children out of uh, the Balkans towards the Middle East and raised a Muslim SS division in Bosnia. Okay, so this is a really bad guy. And Yad Vashem had picture of him. It was taken down, as far as I understand, and I'm going to try to be fair to, to, to everybody here, for renovations when they did the new museum entrance. But they never put it up. And the reason is, Rick, because if anybody listening to us remembers, about three or three and a half years ago, Benjamin Netanyahu said that the Mufti was also responsible for gas chambers and extermination because he urged Hitler to do that. We have a new government in Israel, Rick, and they don't want to do that. They don't think the Mufti deserves to have a big picture in Yad Vashem as a uh, assistant or a uh, one who aids and abets the Holocaust. I guess I can understand the political reasons for them not wanting them to portray the Mufti in that way, but you can't change history. And is it fair to say that the Mufti was influential in the creation of what we now understand is the Palestinian state or the Palestinian people? This relationship or association that he actually had, you can't change history, uh, reflects poorly on the modern day Palestinians. Is that part of why that was taken down in your opinion? I really don't know why it was taken down. I think I know why it was not put up again, because I happen to be in personal communication with Danny Dayan, who's a longtime friend of mine for over 30 years. And I sort of nudged him on this. And he said, I will not be a part to bringing Israel, Zionist, anti-Palestinian, anti-Zionism political argument 
in other words, what we're doing today, and link it up with the Holocaust. And I sort of wrote him back saying, yeah, but you're making a political decision in not doing anything with the Mufti, who reached out to Hitler in 1933, Rick. We have, a, we have a copy of the letter in the foreign archives of Germany, in which he said, hi, I'm one of your fans. Can we get together here? Uh, you don't like the Jews? We don't like the Jews. We even have evidence that he planned a crematoria in the Dotan Valley. That's sort of the north part of Samaria, just before you get to Janine. And he planned from afar to do some sort of Holocaust activity, which I translate as exterminate the Jews. And I hope my non-Jewish audience listening in appreciates I'm trying to hold back here on this. I'm uh, not understanding Danny Dayan or Yad Vashem's thinking on this. Well, I appreciate your candid thoughts and um, the way you are approaching this very delicately. But I will say that even if you don't remember history or choose to whitewash or change history, it doesn't mean it didn't happen that way. So we will continue to look at actual history on this program. And I appreciate your thoughts on that subject. Well, uh, switching gears a little bit, changing to another interesting subject that I'm excited to hear your take on. There are thoughts here and there's stories that have been put out that the United States fears violence in Israel as religious holy days converge in April. Confluence of Passover, Ramadan, and Easter this year taking place in April. Well, Rick, I can only say here in Israel, that possibility exists. I know that it is more than just a possibility because in my network of friends and, and acquaintances passing around information, uh, we do a lot on WhatsApp and sometimes we do it on Twitter when we think it's a little bit more important and, uh, and thousands of people should know what's going on. Uh, we found something in Arabic from a Hamas source promoting the theory. It, it always works. I'm trying to think of the proper psychological term for it. It's like, I'm going to do to you what I think you're going to do to me, okay, if, if you understand what I'm saying, right? Uh, I want to hit you in the head, so, well, let's look at Russia and Ukraine right now, right? Putin wants to invade, so he claims that Ukraine is fighting with Russia so, he's can, so he can invade to defend Ukrainians. I, I, you know, it gets kind of weird here all over the place. And this palace, uh, Hamas source, a, newspaper, a website uh, knows said uh, the Zionists are planning to take over the Temple Mount uh, during Ramadan, okay? Now, we know, you know for sure, and a, a lot of people who have been listening to this program for years know, uh, that during Ramadan, Jews are supremely restricted from going on to the Temple Mount. There are weeks where we can't go up because it's Ramadan. So he's making up a story, and too many people out there, and when I say people, I mean Islam adherents and those who consider themselves nationalists on behalf of Palestine are getting all riled up already a, a, a month and a half before anything is going to happen. Imagine in a month and a half what's going on. Uh, he ties in Sheikh Jarrah, which I call Shemunat Sadiq, and, uh, you know, and Chom, everything is like into the pot. Anybody who's read Shakespeare, you know, the cauldron there in, in, in Macbeth, everybody's stirring it up and stuff like that. So, yes, there is some, there is a possibility. 
Would you say it's fair to say that as we approach this time of the year, Ramadan, Passover, Easter, all converging, be very careful uh, what your intake of media is, where you're getting your information about what's taking place in the Middle East? Because like you said, it's already being kind of set up to make one side the fall guy. I mean, people are are, going to be advancing their own narratives during this time, and hopefully it will be peaceful. But, uh, you know, I'm definitely not sure of that. Well, Rick, Rick, I always advise my friends and I advise all our listeners, do not listen to only one web news site. No matter how important you think your political views are, be a little bit diverse. Take a look at what the far left is doing, what the far right is doing, what the Jews are doing, what the Christians are doing, what the Muslims are doing. You know, look around a little bit. You're intelligent enough to read. And if even if something is in Arabic, I do not read Arabic, Rick, but I know how to work Google Translate. <laughs> and I copy a couple of paragraphs and I paste it up and I look at it. And I think it does about 85% to 90% good job in translating. I get a good idea. So I think anybody who sort of really wants to be a good person, when I say good person, and we've always said this on your program, good is being faithful to God is being faithful to man, is trying to do the good thing. So your news sources should be varied so you can see what's, what else is going on and then make a judgment. As I said, if, if I managed to find an Arab source which is generating propaganda and provocation so that Arabs will react to something that doesn't necessarily have to happen. So, yes, it, it, it's problematic. We have to keep an eye on it. And I hope the police are doing so as well. Well, excellent advice, uh, Winky, and uh, I would agree. Take a wide-ranging view of that. We certainly hope that our program and our website, prophecytoday.com, is one of your sources. But yeah, that's great advice. Finally, last question, and this is hopefully a more positive question than the last two, but uh, you've been living with the reality of COVID there in Israel. Of course, we're here in the States right now, and, and we're living in our own reality, but it seems like there is possibly an opening up of the country. We've been locked down. You know, we've had to cancel many tours to Israel, but it seems like things are possibly opening back up. Could you give me what's the word on the ground there and what are you seeing? Are we going to be able to come visit you again soon? That's what I really want to know. Well, uh, as far as I know, this government uh, is intending to open up mostly or largely, or to a great extent, much more than the past two years, the borders for tourism and incoming people, uh, business and, and etc. cetera, uh, I think within a month or less. Uh, I don't know the details about what type of test you have to bring with you as proof that you don't, uh, that you're at the present moment not uh, sick with the disease. But the indications are that despite the last month or so where there was a huge spread of uh, a form of, of COVID, it was not that dangerous. And that most of the people who were in a dangerous category, in other words, people like me, who are a little bit older than you, uh, and, and perhaps could be hurt by the disease more than others, uh, mostly were inoculated or otherwise. And so it seems the government anyway, is thinking ahead that we can be opened to a lot more people coming in. And hopefully we can see you and your groups. Well, that would be wonderful. I know 
for many years before there was a Jewish state of Israel um, in 1948, at, during the holy times and the Passover seders, you used to say next year in Jerusalem. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping that it's this year in Jerusalem for us to see you, Winky. But maybe next year, um, optimistically as well. But that's certainly our prayer and our hope as well. Well, I can tell. Talking about tourism, uh, I hope our people notice that John Voigt uh, was here this week. He was at Shiloh and a couple other places here in Judea and Samaria. He cried when we're given a bottle of wine that was produced in Samaria, declaring it's a fulfillment of prophecy. And so uh, we are together with you, our, our loyal lovers of Zion friends, and we hope to see you, and we hope that uh, we'll all be in good health and, and celebrate uh, not only Jerusalem this year, but a rebuilt Jerusalem very soon. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Winky, for joining us today. <laughs> Interesting insight. It's really great talking to you when we get the chance. Thank you. And goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, Israel Madad gives us so much information. I really like what he says and the information he gives pertaining to the Temple Mount, uh, what's going on in Jerusalem, what's going on in Israel, and uh, along with David Dolan, they keep us updated on current events and what's taking place in the Middle East, specifically in Israel. Well, I'm introducing you to a new guest this week, and hopefully it's it's not our only time that we'll be on with our new guest, but I'm, I'm looking forward to a long-time relationship because I have read this man's blogs. And uh, as a matter of fact, let me just introduce him to you, Pete Garcia. Pete, welcome to the program today. Hey, thanks for having me. I, I really am honored to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here, Pete. And uh, I've heard about your website for a long time. It came to me from different areas. Uh, I had a friend of mine that I, I highly respect that sent me one of your blogs. I read that. We're going to get to that. But first, tell me about your, the ministry that you have and the website that you have. The website is rev310.net, and uh, it's you know, short for Revelation 310. I began my ministry with the Omega letter that w was under Jack and Sella, and uh, I wrote for them for about seven years. And, and when that site finally went, they closed it down. I just continued my writing ministry there at uh, Rev310. So it's been something uh, I felt a calling to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, before my, uh, I call it my come to Jesus moment, but before that <laughs> happened in 2007, I, I never, I hated writing. Like writing was not anything I was interested in doing. Um, and around 2011 is when it, God brought me into that and, and showed me that he had given me a gift for uh, writing and for, you know, just uh, conveying the thoughts that he lays on my heart. And it's been a blessing. I've got over, I don't know, it's like over 500 articles now. Wow. Close to 600. So, yeah. Right, yes. Right about 11 years. I mean, it, it is a resource website for those that are students of uh, Bible prophecy. And we basically have the same type of ministry where we're trying to educate the body of Christ, edify them, educate them as to what one third of God's word talks about, which is future events and, and how it fits into our world today and helping us to determine why the world is acting as it is. Tell me quickly, I know that you mentioned to me that you were in the military. Yes, I, I was in for 22 years. I just retired a, a couple of years ago. Wow. I was a um, Black Hawk pilot uh, for most of that time. I flew mm. medevac and uh, been deployed to the Middle East uh, 
about four times. Yeah, my last assignment was in Saudi Arabia, so it was, it was a good time. Thank you for your service. I appreciate uh, we, 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 we support our military and uh, the difficult position, not only for them, but their families. And, uh, yes, uh, and, if, and as a matter of fact, uh, quite often Lieutenant Colonel Bob McGinnis was with us, and it is truly a gift to write. You know, anybody can talk on the radio. Just about anybody can do television. Anybody can put a hold up an iPhone and video themselves these days, and everybody's an expert. But to write, uh, that is a gift. And uh, you've written a couple of books. And now, these titles to these books are very um, interesting, to say the least. But this is how you need to look for them. You have written Hobo 1, Hobo 2. Can you just explain what Hobo refers to? Uh, it stands, uh, it's a short for uh, Homeward Bound, and it's, uh, it's really just a, in a summary. It's a, it's a story about a guy that's deployed to the Middle East, uh, and the U.S. economy collapses. Uh, he's, st- he's stranded over there, and it's about his story of redemption, of making it back to the States right here at the end of the, the last days, the end of the age, and it's got a lot of elements of um, uh, military history, uh, prophecy, apocalyptic fiction. It's a fiction novel, but okay. it obviously uh, ties in with a lot of current day events as well as Bible prophecy. Okay. Very good. And, and you can go on to Amazon, Google Pete Garcia, and his books will come up if you can't remember the name of the books. Well, let's talk about the blog post that I was sent. The title of the blog is How Much Worse Will It Get? Now, we're going to talk through this, but what prompted you to write uh, this blog, How Much Worse Will It Get? I think what this narrative, these two narratives that I've, I keep hearing, and I keep hearing it across the radio and across ministries, and from even people that I highly respect, and, and the two the two narratives or the two thoughts that are coming out are that we need to, as a church, need to get ready for persecution, and then they kind of tie that in with the second part, that out of that persecution will come this third great awakening. Mm. And so I think as we see the world unraveling right now, right before our eyes, the natural disposition for us would be to assume that persecution's coming to the United States. And so what I what I did with the article, and I go into a lot of depth from a lot of different angles looking at that, I just wanted to reassure Christians that persecution has been around. And if you go all the way forward, you even, even talk about like Hebrews 11, mm-hmm. the Hall of Faith, it, it mentions all of those that were sawn asunder and, and left destitute and beaten and all that. There was this natural tendency that every time persecution happens, it causes the church to kind of spread out, to, to grow. And historically, that's been true. So when you're looking at the world today, looking at how crazy things have become, there is that natural tendency to want to prep, to get, you know, to become anxious, wor- worrisome about persecution coming to the church. Now, I do make a distinction in the article that this is speaking specifically to the United States, and I'll get to, to why in a second. But I also acknowledge, hey, there's persecution all over the world today, right now, in North Korea, China, the Middle East, and there's a distinct difference with America. And I'm not trying to make this Americentric, but there is a distinct difference between what's going on here with us versus what's going on with the world. And I think the the distinct difference is that our system, our way of life, um, um, you, you know, if you go back to uh, to Acts, I think it's in uh, Acts 17 that God made one. Out of one uh, man, he made all these nations, or one blood, he made these nations, and he determines their boundaries and, and how long they'll be kingdoms and empires. And he determined the United States to be in this position here in the last days. And then he also, I think, further influenced our 
founders to write these documents, uh, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, in such a way that it, it just creates these almost foolproof safeguards. Mm. And I'm not saying that they can't ever be changed. I mean, we have the amendment process, but in order for the church here in America to come under the kind of persecution that these a lot of these folks are talking about, our whole system would have to collapse. And furthermore, when we look at the what the Bible says about the last day's church, there is no mention of a any kind of third great awakening. I mean, Second Timothy three talks about there being perilous times; people will be lovers of themselves. Second Peter three uh, talks about the apostates coming into the church. There is nothing really positive about moving toward the end of the age with regards to the church. Only other than the fact that that we'll still be here. And I believe that that the remnant believers will will really become that uh, that Philadelphian church, and we'll have little strength. You know, they're, they're, we're not going to be dominating the platform of, of ideas and dominating government. Satan is more wily and more clever than than a lot of people give him credit for. He's never going to come at us with a full frontal assault. He's going to come at us at an angle. And, and we in the military we used to talk about this idea of, of either gray war conflicts or um, asymmetric warfare where you're, you're, you're not attacking directly, you're attacking at an angle, and, and most often you're waging war, and the other side doesn't even know they're at war. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where he wants us. He wants this church, this body of believers, he wants them to be asleep, demoralized, not acting on the power and the authority of the Holy Spirit. You know, you've got kind of the four predominant churches that are kind of dominating Christendom right now. Uh, so these would be from the seven churches in uh, Revelation 2 and 3, which I believe lay out the kind of the, the ages of the church for the last 2,000 years. But the last four churches tend to overlap. So you have the Church of Thyatira, okay. the Church of Sardis, the Church of Philadelphia, and the Church of Laodicea. And the order that they're given to us in, uh, to me, is what is what Christ was saying, hey, this, you know, take notice to this as well, but that the church of um, the last four would be overlapping each other, but they're also asleep, right? He Mm -hmm. says, uh, warns them in Revelation 3.3 that if you're not watching, I'm going to come upon you as a thief, and you're not going to know at what hour I come. You have the church of Philadelphia who is watching and who is faithful, but they have very little strength. And then that last church, Laodicea, is, you know, corrupted, uh, you know, a paganized, uh, you know, church that thinks they're rich, thinks they're all that, but really they're poor, blind, and naked. And I think that's where we see kind of the state of the church today across the world. I don't see a, re- a revival this side of the rapture. I think beyond after the rapture, once the church is removed, I think a lot of people are going to realize what happened and that there were, will at that point be folks coming to Christ. And we see the multitudes that come out of the, the early parts of the tribulation there. In Revelation uh, 7. In these last days, and Peter and Paul both gave instructions to the early church how to live during these days, during the last days, during the time of persecution. They were persecuted by Rome. Uh, the church mm-hmm. has gone through pros- persecution throughout church history. Those seven churches that were written to in 95 AD, they've been alive throughout church history, and they're alive today. So, Pete, in the closing minutes, and we're going to have you back because there's so much information here we need to develop. I, I want to talk to you about a lot of this stuff. What encouragement would you give to the body of Christ if you had to give them some instructions uh, for the times in which we're living? What would you give them? And, and an answer to, will it get worse? 
I, 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 so I make that distinction in there that, that I do believe that times will get worse, mm-hmm. just as it lays out in Matthew 24 and it lays out in other places in Scripture. But I think we need to make that distinction between deprivation and economic hardships and just the general decay of, of society uh, versus you know targeted persecutions against Christians in, in particular. I think Satan's going to go after the Judeo-Christian worldview which most cultures can agree with that families are important, marriages are important, those kind of things, but he's going to make those attacks so that it attacks us kind of at an angle and not just directly on because we believe in Jesus Christ. But to my encouragement part, you know, I looked at verses, particularly from Paul, when he talks about running the race and, and running for the prize and, and not giving up, you know, First Corinthians 9 and other Amen. places. but. When I look at the race, I, I you know they've always got the posters with these young, healthy people running, and they're just they just look like they've got all this energy and they're reaching for that finish line. And I don't think it's like that at all. I think it's more like the the runner that's that's fell and tripped and, and he's covered in dirt and sweat and maybe spit up a little bit and he mm-hmm. just barely just like just you know sweat pouring down his face and he's just struggling. But he gets up and he's struggling and he's struggling and he's struggling. And he's going to keep going. So we don't let these times get us down. Whatever the world throws at us, I guarantee you God's got your back, and he will see us through that. This is not a surprise to him. He will carry us and push us and motivate us and and love us through to that finish line. So we just need to keep doing what God's called us to do. Amen. Pete Garcia, Rev310.net is his website. There are over 500 articles there that he has written uh, that will help you in your studies, that will give you food for thought, that will give you ammunition to do war during the time in which we're living, to give you encouragement. I love your word imagery there. Very good, Pete. Thank you so much. We're going to have you back. We've got to. We've got so many topics that I want to discuss with you. And in the future, I'm looking forward to having that conversation with you. Okay. Look forward to it as well. Amen. Well, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, as he comes with the Legacy Series, and he's teaching in the book of Revelation this week, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with Rick, we've been looking at current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, we try to put on our website ideas for people to go to, to get information, to help them to increase their knowledge of understanding of Bible prophecy in the times in which we're living. That's right, Jimmy. I mean, our goal is the same thing we're trying to do on the radio program here, is we'd like to come alongside the listener. We'd like to come alongside those people that are coming to our website, and we'd like to help you understand how Bible prophecy is so important and how things taking place in the world today are so important. So that's what we're doing. We're looking at current events in the light of God's prophetic word, and when you go to our website, you could see not only what we're trying to share with you, but you could learn how to get involved with our ministry. Exactly right, Rick, and I would encourage you, and I know so many people, and we try not to talk about it, but there is a donation button, and if you like what we do, and you like our ministry, and you want to encourage and help us to continue the ministry, we would love for you to uh, consider donating to our ministry and to help further the continuation of getting this information out to the body of Christ. 
Well, we are excited today as we continue our study of Revelation. It's a great book to be studying today with all that is happening and unfolding in the Middle East. Before we continue our study, let me remind you of several things. First, let me remind you of the three main events of the future, the rapture, the second coming or the return, and the retribution, which is the great white throne judgment. We concluded our study last week looking at the sealed judgments in Revelation chapter 6. We looked at the first two judgments, which revealed to us the appearance of the Antichrist and the alignment of nations. Revelation chapter 6 verses 1 and 2 is a man on a white horse wearing a crown with a bow in his hand going forth to conquer. This is the Antichrist, a member of the satanic trinity that tries to replicate the true Messiah, but he is a false Messiah. Revelation 6 verses 3 and 4 is a man on a red horse that takes peace from the earth. That is the judgment of war that is detailed in Daniel 11, Ezekiel 38, and Psalm 83. Take your Bible now and let's go to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 5 and we will continue our study of the book of Revelation as we look at the sealed judgments. The next seal, third seal, is famine. The fourth seal, look at it, verse 7. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that saw on it was death, and hell followed with him, and power was given unto him over a fourth part of the earth to kill them with the sword and with hunger and with death and with a beast of the earth. And so it is in this fourth seal judgment, one-fourth of the earth's population. We're talking about 1.5 billion people are going to be killed in this fourth seal judgment. That is an awesome thing that is going to happen. Now, I'm not going to go into all the detail. Please just let me go through here with you the portion of the scriptures that is unfolding. Chapter 11 is the two witnesses that preach. See, I go from the seals to chapter 11 because during that first three and a half years, remember I said there will be two witnesses that will preach. Verse 3, chapter 11. And I will give power unto my two witnesses and they shall prophesy a thousand, two hundred and three score days. That would be twelve hundred and sixty days, three and a half years. During that time, they're going to have opportunity to win many, many people to Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says in Matthew 24, verse 14, the entire earth will hear the gospel of the kingdom and then the end of the tribulation period will come. Who is going to do all the preaching? Well, these two witnesses will be headquartered in the city of Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. The first results of their witnessing will be as foretold here in chapter 7. Go back to chapter 7. I'm going chronologically. I'm not going numerically. I'm telling you how it's going to unfold. In chapter 7, it says, verse 4, And I heard a number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 140 and 4,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And God is going to seal 144,000. Chapter 14, verse 4, said these will be male virgin Jews. The reason they're going to be virgin is they will not have time to deal with marriage or to have a family. They have seven years to preach the gospel of the kingdom to everybody on the face of the earth. And so they will be male virgin Jews, 144,000 from each of the tribes of Israel. Look at verse 9 of chapter 7. And after this I beheld and lo a great multitude 
which no man could number of all the nations and the kindreds and the peoples and the tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb. So these people will come to know Christ. Many people will come to know Christ during the tribulation period. Go back to chapter 11 again. At the end of this first three and a half years, these two witnesses are going to be killed and they're going to lay in the streets of Jerusalem. And it's going to be party time. Everybody's going to be excited. Look at verse 10. They that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one unto another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell on the earth. Then they're going to lay in the streets, not put in the grave, but resurrected and taken up into the heavens. Verse 12. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither. And they ascended up into the heavens in a cloud and their enemies beheld them. So that is what's going to take place in the first three and a half years as well. And at the end, they will be killed and then resurrected and taken to heaven. Also at the end of the three and a half years, look at chapter 12 and verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, he was cast out all the way from the first and second heaven to the earth. Chapter 12, verse 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them, woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and the sea. For the devil has come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Verse 13. When the dragon, that's Satan, saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman that brought forth the man-child. And so we see that Israel is going to be persecuted to the extent that Satan is going to try to wipe them all out. Verse 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and keep the testimony of Jesus Christ. This is the midway point of the tribulation period. Now we go back to chapter 8 because chapter 8 is the record of what's going to happen in the seven trumpet judgments. Chapter 8, verse 1, gives us the seventh seal judgment. Remember, it was the sealed book. And in that sealed book was every one of the 21 judgments. Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. That's talking about what has already unfolded on the earth. I believe out of the heavenlies we'll be able to see it. But yet knowing in the heavenlies at that time what's going to happen in the future, we're not going to be able to say anything. It's going to, just, it's going to be so awestruck we are, we're not going to be able to say anything. And then he starts to open the seals, I mean the trumpets. Look at verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth. And a third part of the trees burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. Verse 9, and the third part of the creatures which were in the sea, the fish, they that had life, they died, and the third part of the ships were destroyed. You're going to see one-third from the heavenlies. If you're here without Christ, you'll see it in person. One-third of the ocean turned to blood. I'm not going to go through all of these. Uh, look at verse 1 of chapter 9. An angel sounded and a star, that's talking about not a star, twinkle, twinkle, little star, but a star like Michael Jordan is a basketball star. It's talking about Satan. When he's thrown out of the heavenlies, he's given the key to the bottomless pit. 
The bottomless pit, I cannot tell you where it is. I have an idea. I think it's in outer space in one of those black hole areas. It's not on the earth because you couldn't have anything bottomless on the earth. But I think it's in outer space. I, I don't know, so don't quote me on telling you where it is. But there are going to be 200 million evil angels in that location. And they are going to be the angels that committed sexual immorality. Talks about in Jude verses 5 and 6 and 2 Peter 2, 4. Angels, evil angels committed sexual immorality. When did that happen? Well, that was the reason for the flood. Genesis chapter 6, where it says the sons of God had sexual relationship with the daughters of men. The women and evil angels had a relationship there. And because of that relationship, God wiped out all of humankind. Have you ever studied the fifth chapter of Genesis, the genealogies from Adam all the way to Noah? Not one evil angel is listed. That's the reason for that genealogy. And they're going to be released upon the earth, and they're going to kill a third of the remaining people alive on the earth. If you kill one-fourth with that fourth seal judgment, then we come to the sixth trumpet judgment, and you kill a third, that's half of the earth's population that has been wiped out. Go to chapter 16. These judgments are unfolding. Chapter 16 would be the record of the vile judgments. And this is going to be intense as we quickly move towards the time of the return of Jesus Christ. Notice what we read here, verse 2. And the first went out and poured out his vial upon the earth until there were, fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men that had the mark of the beast, those who are falling in line with the beast. And upon them shall worship his image. Verse 3. And the second angel poured out his vial upon the sea. And it became as blood of a dead man. And every living soul in it died. Remember it was a third in the trumpet judgment. Now it's all of the ocean turns to blood. And all of the fish of the sea die. And it gets progressively worse. Verse 4 talks about all the waters and the fountains and the streams in the earth turn to blood. This is a terrible time in the tribulation period. It's for the purpose of bringing the earth under submission and earth dwellers under submission. Look at what's going to happen. Verse 8, the fourth vial. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto them, the scorched men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues. And they repented not, even though all this judgment is coming. They don't turn to God. They, the, in fact, verse 11 says they blasphemed God. But look at the sixth vile judgment, verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up, so that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared." The kings of the east would be China, 1.4 billion people. It would be India, 1.3 billion people. That's 2.7 billion people. That's almost half of the earth's population who have not been involved yet. And those kings come out of the east into Jerusalem, where all the armies of the world gather together. Look here at verse 13. This is after this sixth vile judgment. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come up out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast. The dragon, of course, Satan, the beast, Antichrist. Not of the mouth of the false prophet, for they are the spirits of devils. Look at here. Working miracles. Devils work miracles. Which go forth unto the kings of the earth, unto the whole world, to gather them for the battle of that great day of God Almighty. It's the battle of Armageddon, of course. And these evil 
evil creatures, Satan, Antichrist, false prophets, Satanic Trinity, perform miracles to gather all the nations of the world. Now look here at verse 17. This is the last. This is the 21st of 21 judgments that get progressively worse. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done! There were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the face of the earth, so mighty an earthquake. And the great city was divided into three parts. The cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Babylon is going to be destroyed. That's the last judgment. You heard me correctly say that Babylon is going to be destroyed, and according to Revelation 18, Babylon will be destroyed in one hour. That happens at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. This statement may bring some questions to mind. Like, I thought Babylon was destroyed 2,500 years ago, as recorded in Daniel 5. Well, the historic event recorded in Daniel 5 is the destruction of the Babylonian Empire, not the city of Babylon. The city of Babylon has never been destroyed. Babylon, the literal city, will become the international headquarters for the one world economic, political, governmental system or empire of the Antichrist during the last half of the tribulation period. This will be our subject next week when we conclude our study of the book of Revelation. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. We're going to take a break and when we come back, we'll conclude our program for today right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Winter packs a punch in Lebanon. Nuna from Triumphant Mercy Lebanon says back-to-back winter storms are wreaking havoc on Lebanon's most vulnerable populations. Roughly 1.5 million refugees live in Lebanon, and over 75% of the total population has fallen into poverty. But a gift to Triumphant Mercy Lebanon provides emergency aid, and most importantly, it introduces people to El Roy, the God who sees. Meanwhile, you're never too old to learn a new skill. Maha, a 63-year-old woman in India, never learned to read or write, and she suffered from physical pain. One day, her friend suggested she attend Mission India's adult literacy class. And Eric with Mission India says in the class, Maha learned reading, writing, and math. The teacher also offered to pray for her pain, and within hours, she was miraculously healed. Today, Maha has a new relationship with Jesus. Forty Bucks sponsors one adult in Mission India's program. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries, on Ruth Kramer. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for 
for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy D. Young, Jr. And along with Rick, we have been looking at current events for the last hour and a half. You know, Rick, as we are doing this, and I've always asked people, how do you know what to focus on when you're doing a program? You know, as we're doing this, uh, and we focus on this because we have a worldview, a biblical worldview. When uh, When you and I are picking out stories, what are you looking for when you pick out a story that our broadcast partners are going to cover? Well, especially when you study Scripture and you look at some of the nations and some of the places that are going to be important during the end-time scenario, we kind of focus on those areas, and then we take a look at what's taking place in the kind of the geopolitical and the Middle Eastern sphere, and and basically the pieces just fall into place, and the stories pick themselves. They sure do. And if you understand Bible prophecy, it helps you to focus. You're not just throwing a dart at the map trying to pick something out. It's uh, There's a systematic thought process when you're studying Bible prophecy, correct? That's correct, Jimmy. And the more you study Scripture, you start, uh, most people start with the book of Revelation to look at what's going to take place, but then you start to add on that, and you take on all the Scriptures. You take on Daniel and Ezekiel, and you add all the Scriptures to it. And um, the more you add to it, the more you realize that all of these events are things taking place that were foretold of in Scripture. Yes. And we try to tell people, we look at the trio of triplets, really the three things that you need to understand. And we've talked about this in the past. You have to have an understanding that there are three strands of the human family, Gentiles, Jews, and Christians. For the first 2,000 years of human history, there were only Gentiles on the earth. And for the second 2,000 years, there were Gentiles and Jews on the earth. And then for the third, you have Gentiles, Jews, and Christians until the rapture of the church. That's one of the trio of triplets. The second, as you talked about, there are three main prophetic books of the Bible. And you really do have to understand Daniel in order to understand Revelation and Ezekiel. You have to understand how Daniel works and how it lays out the times of the Gentiles. That will help you to understand then Ezekiel, which is laid out for the Jewish people and the program that God has for them and how they will be restored to the kingdom practices. And then the book of Revelation, which a lot of people don't understand because it's apocalyptic literature, but you really then, you know, using those other two books, it helps you to understand as you read through it in a chronological order that it's not basically 1 through 22. It is, there are different aspects to that timeline. And then we look at the three remaining events on God's really timetable, the rapture, the second coming of Christ, and the great white throne judgment. And everything falls into place. And Rick, as we look at that, sometimes we find people that, you know, really are perplexed by the book of Revelation. Well, I tell you, Jimmy, and that's interesting that you should say that, and what you have given us there with what we call the trio of triplets is basically a foundation in which to understand Scripture. And I was in a Bible study this week, and we were looking at the first chapter, just kind of beginning to go through the book of Revelation. And one of the guys that was studying with us, and he's been he's a true scholar of the Word. He's 
He's provided so much insight as we have studied through the Bible, basically beginning at Genesis. But his thought was, you know, there's so much going on in the book of Revelation, and it's so hard to understand. And so I've just avoided it. And I thought to myself, that's what we're doing in this ministry. We're providing a framework. We're providing a foundation for which people to build on their understanding and their knowledge of prophetic scripture. And he's not alone. There are a lot of teachers. There are pastors that don't teach the book of Revelation because it's it's very controversial. Uh, but God's word, one third of it, one out of every three pages, and I've said this before in our program, um, one out of every three pages, one third of God's word is about future events. It was important to God. And if it was that important to him, how much more important should it be to us that at least we study it? And Revelation is, when you look at it as apocalyptic literature, it really is revealed to you, revealed Revelation, as you study it. That gets you into his word and really understanding and studying God's word, his love letter to us from Genesis to Revelation really does help us to understand more about him and the times in which we're living. One final thought, Jimmy, from that Bible study that I was involved in with what I consider to be really, truly godly men, is that we came to the conclusion that Revelation is actually an encouraging scripture. I mean, we kind of look at it and we say, oh, there's so many kind of terrible things that happen. Well, for us as Christians, it's an encouragement to understand that we know the final chapter, we know what's going to take place. We have fulfilled prophecy in the past, which says that what we're looking at and what the Bible says it's going to take place in Revelation and what our role as Christians is going to be, it should be encouraging to us in all sorts of ways, not only in how we live our life, but how we share and, and go forth and share the gospel in the future. You know, our new partner today, Pete Garcia, talked about, will it get much worse? It will get worse. But that's in the tribulation period. That's the motivating factor. When you study Bible prophecy, it is to help us to understand the times in which we're living, why the world is acting as it is, why those things are taking place. But as you're studying this, it helps you to be motivated because God Although he could have used the stars to spell out, you must be born again. He could have used the rocks to cry out or the trees to talk to us and tell us this message. He chose you and I, and he chose the body of Christ to tell others about his gift of eternal life through salvation by providing his son to die on the cross so that we might have eternal life. And by believing in that, that through his death and Jesus Christ paying that price for the sin that we have all committed, we can have eternal life. And that's the message, and that's why he chose us, and that's the motivating factor. We don't want our loved ones, our friends, or people to go through that tribulation period, and we have to give them the gospel message. Rick, thanks so much for joining with me today. I look forward to next week as we continue to examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. I look forward to it as well, Jimmy, and I certainly count it a privilege and an honor to be able to come onto this radio program and to share with our listeners the good news of the prophetic truths in the Scripture. It is a responsibility that we have, and I'm so thankful for that also. Folks, with everything that is taking place, we are very close to the rapture taking place. And as uh, we are examining current events, it does help us to understand 
how close the rapture is, and it could be today. So let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.